You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Emma Sassick's interview with the director for The Phantom of the Open, Craig Roberts, and the screenwriter, Simon Farnaby. A new young man once said it was going to be somebody. Promise champagne, caviar. I'll give you champagne, caviar. You should have married him. That's the light of my life, Jean. I love her very, very much. And the songs, they love disco dancing. Where I come from, it's a small world. If you could do anything, what would you do? I don't know. The world's your oyster. What we got to lose? And that one was for the title. Golf. Golf? I'm going to have a crack at the British Open. Just remember, whatever happens, no one can say you didn't try. Please welcome on the team, Morris Flipcroft. Where is it? Oh, God. Don't adjust the television. This is actually happening. <laughs> it stays here. His name is Boris. What's going to your flick, Croft? How does it feel to have shot the worst round in the history of the Open? That's hard to tell. It's the first round I've ever played. I don't know what happened. I got a bit nervous. Don't be so hard on yourself. I want them banned! What if you enter as someone else? Bonjour. Aim for the stars. What if we lose? At least you can say you tried. You've got to take these things up at age six. You can't take them up at 46. Well, who says? He's made your life a misery. He's made my life. He's made all our lives. I just need to practice. Practice is the road to perfection. Ah! Sorry! How'd he do? He shot the highest score in major history. Does that mean he's won? If I can inspire just one person... Well, that's all in one, isn't it? What a great opening drive. Have they got the real Morris Flitcroft? Oh, I think that's him. Thank you again, Craig and Simon, for chatting with me today. Um, this is quite a charming film. I don't know any other word to describe it besides charming. It left me in such a wonderful mood. Um, and I'm very excited to learn a little bit about how both of you got involved with the project. Um, Simon, I'll start with you. Uh, you wrote the actual Phantom of the Open Book with Scott Murray. Um, I want to know how you first heard about Morris and his many attempts to play in the British Open. <laughs> yeah, it was... Um... It was actually an obituary. He died in um, 2007. Mm-hmm. And I read, the first one I read was in The Guardian. And I sort of thought it was a joke. I thought it was like an April Fool or something. <laughs> um, but it wasn't April. It was like July. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then I looked in the other broadsheets and I, and I saw um, it was in there as well. So he was quite famous. Like he was in, he was in all the newspapers and... and um, I vaguely remembered him from my childhood because because I grew up around golf. My dad was the greenkeeper, so mm-hmm. I always liked the idea of this guy. <laughs> when when you're a junior at a golf club, you're you're like looked down upon, and Morris was looked down upon by the golfing community. So mm-hmm. I felt like kinship there. And then I did a bit of research and discovered that no one really knew that much about him apart from what was in the obituaries. Like that was it. Mm-hmm. So we went to visit Scott and I went to visit the family. One of the big things was like, was he serious or was he a joker? And they all said, no, he was serious. He, he thought was serious. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then, then that's when I knew it was a great story because if it had been just a prankster, it, it wouldn't really have worked. But that was really the, 
the start of it. And I always sort of thought it would make a a great film. And here we are. (laughs) Right director. (laughs) Um, Craig, how about yourself? Did you know about Morris um, either through growing up or if you were in playing golf at any point in your life, anything like that? No, I don't play golf and I I never will because I'm not very good. (laughs) Um, my dad did play golf and he was he was pretty good um, and he knew about Morris, um, but I didn't at all. So when I first read the script, I, it was kind of hard to believe that it was true, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so did my research and looked in, you know, on YouTube, so it's some videos and yeah, I loved it. Like you said, it's so, it was so full of charm, the script, and there was so much heart and it was funny. And I felt like I knew Morris. I felt like I knew the characters. They just felt so real and grounded. Um, so I thought, yeah, like a crack at directing it. I live in Palm Springs where we have a big, big golf culture here. So I feel like Morris would be more than welcome to play golf here if he were still with us to this day. Um, well, it'd probably get kicked out, but, but I know what you, <laughs> you mean. know, maybe, maybe it'd be fun. <laughs> um, what then ultimately led uh to you two wanting to collaborate on the film and you know Simon since you had written the book was it very difficult to turn a very straightforward biography uh text into this screen adaptation yeah it was it was fairly straightforward as these things go um because I'd I'd actually written a a very bad screenplay before I wrote the book (laughs) um and um just based on knowledge that I'd got from the internet and from, from newspaper archives and stuff. But, but um, uh, so I'd written this quite bad screenplay. And then when we researched the book, we got hold of Morris's unpublished autobiography, which was like 500 pages of his innermost thoughts and everything he was thinking and everything he did and was written down there. So then it was just, that was a goldmine for, for, the screenplay so the screenplay became a case of sort of organizing all these elements that were true into a into a sort of satisfying narrative um and then craig's involvement um we sort of talked to a lot of directors but craig was immediately like a few people were sort of like oh this could be like a kitchen sink sort of ken loach mike lee british quite um you know, let's shoot it really sort of realistic and gritty. Sure. And, um, and then the humour will come out. And I was always like, no, I wanted it to be like the Big Lebowski or something. <laughs> uh, and then Craig said that immediately. He went, this is the Big Lebowski. And I want it to be colourful and bright and and a sort of joy to watch. Um, so uh, Craig got the job. I got the job. Did a lot of begging and then I got the job. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, with what, uh, on the back of what Simon was saying, well, actually, my involvement, like, I, I've, I've been a big fan of Simon's for a while anyway, and he's pretty good at writing scripts, it would seem. Um, and I've, <laughs> I've done, a, I, I, the movies I've done before this are written myself, and I didn't think I'd direct someone else's script, but I was jealous that he, I hadn't done it, so I definitely wanted to do it. It was really, really, really well put together. Mm-hmm. And then what he was saying with, like, the iconography and stuff, I kind of have a slight allergic reaction to the kind of uh, the British overly steeped in like social realism uh, way of making films. Uh, I mean, we, we do it very well, but um, I felt like in the wrong hands, potentially that's what this could have been. And it was always about kind of, I suppose, with the grammar of it all, capturing his ambition, not his situation, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
And since you mentioned that, um, you know, you found this gold mine with his innermost thoughts, his own autobiography, um, how did that really allow the both of you to really expand this film maybe even farther than you, than you even thought possible? Well, I think it was, um, I mean, all that stuff was in there before Craig sort of sort of read it, th thank goodness. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I think what it does is give a sort of authenticity, you know, because... Mm -hmm. And then we were lucky enough to get some some footage of Morris, um, the, the real Morris, at the end. So often people actually watch it and and don't believe it's real until until the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, all, all that stuff was in there really, and and um, and actually Craig, you know, and and Mark as well, Rylance, you know, because because I sort of collaborated with Craig on you know Craig had thoughts on the script and was like was this true was that not true and and what should we do with this and Craig had ideas on how to make real for example that the uh the dream sequences you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when Mark Rylance came on board you know Mark was going is this true is that true and Mark <laughs> went back to the uh <laughs> he went back to the to the book you know Mark had gone through the book and gone in the book you said he did this and in the script you said he did that so <laughs> I was constantly uh checked the whole way <laughs> nobody wanted to believe you <laughs> uh speaking of Mark Rylance when it did come time to cast Morris um was he someone that was always at the top of both of your minds for this project and um you know what was it like working with him and collaborating with this aside from him always saying I don't believe that any of this is true um well Craig you first mentioned him didn't you at that, at so. that lunch we had yeah mainly because the script was really really funny and I get slightly worried when things are really funny because then you have to make people laugh mm. that's, that's the invitation so the idea of grounding it in some kind of drama where you can also laugh at the same time kind of made sense to me. And Mark's probably, you know, the best actor in the world, really. Um, so we were like, let's try for him. And um, yeah, he got back saying that he'd never been offered a comedy before, I believe. Oh, wow. Good timing for us. Um, and he was great. He was really, he was fab. He was, you know, he had, like, like Simon said, a lot of ideas and he's in it a lot. And that's, you know, that's a big thing to carry. Um, he was, uh, he always... He um he kept saying, "Why do I keep having to change my clothes?" And, <laughs> and we were, because he does so much theatre, and he does films, but he only does sort of Steven Spielberg, and he does sort of quite um like you know um contained sort of characters, and we have him spanning you know about thirty years. Mm -hmm. So he got a bit. Uh, <laughs> he was like, "Why do I have to put a wig on?" Supposed to be twenty years younger. <laughs> You don't have to do this in the theatre. <laughs> so that was quite sweet, you know. He was it. It was great to sort of um, put him through his paces like that. I suppose, <laughs> like you, like no one will have seen him do anything like this, which is great. Yeah. Also, on the back of that as well, I think um, a big thing for us was not laughing at Morris. It was laughing with him. You know, like I think a, a reference. Well, for me, was the King of Comedy for for how good it is, and also. You know, you're kind of laughing at Rupert Pumpkin throughout the whole of that movie. And it, that was the fear with this. We didn't want that at all. It had, you had to be on side with him. And Mark's very good at doing that, bringing you in. 
Yes, I really loved seeing him in this role. And, you know, it's actually surprising that you said that he had never been offered a, a comedic role before because he just fit right into it without a problem. And yes, you could figure out those moments where, oh, yeah, I should not be laughing at this character. I'm laughing with this character. So um, I felt like he brought such a deeper level of charm to the film. Um, and same with Sally Hawkins. I know that both of you two uh, worked with her in previous films. What was it like collaborating again for this story? Yeah, no, it, it was it was lucky that um, she she holds Craig and I in, in um, uh, great affection. Thankfully, so yeah. we both we both um, knew we had a shot at, at persuading her to do it because you have to sort of persuade <laughs> persuade Sally to do things. Yeah. She, she doesn't she doesn't really like acting, <laughs> even though she's brilliant at it. She's like, she's oh, amazing. She's she's amazing, yeah, and actually she. She really carries the film like she's the strength in a way. She was Morris's rock, uh, was, mm-hmm. and, and um, she just carried that uh, incredibly. And, and um, thankfully, Craig knows sort of how to get the best out of her as well. He he did um, a film called Eternal Beauty with mm-hmm. her, which is the first thing I saw of of, of Craig's, which I thought was was wonderful. So. Um, I knew he could get that sort of performance out of her, and she she was fantastic. Yeah, there's very there's very little directing going on when you have Sally Hawkins. If I'm totally honest, <laughs> of the craft, and um, I learn something new all the time. She's she's she totally keeps you on your you know on your toes, and um, I'd work with her on everything if I could. Hey, hey there. there, I'm Hannah, and I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.
it seems like both Mark and Sally together in a film. I mean, what more could you want from the cast right there? <laughs> um, since both of you have experience in front of the camera, uh, I'm always curious when um, actors take on some additional roles, um, whether it's directing, writing, both. Um, how does all of that impact the way you work behind the camera in terms of your, your previous acting experience? Does it make it, you know, I guess, easier to better understand the the way you would like the script to be or the way you would like to see it all play out in front of you? Are there challenges with that? How would you how would you describe it? Well, it should, I suppose it's just having a different take on it, because I as a director, I mean, I can only speak to directing. I I um, I love the kind of the craft of it all and and the technical aspects of it. Um, and I think sometimes directors without having experience with actors can focus on that so much that actors can feel removed slightly on set and mm. not part of the process so luckily because I've come from acting and I know actors and what they what they want and you know at the end of the day they just need a safe environment so that they can they can play um I think that's helped me in some way not to you know clip people's wings too early and allow them the freedom to to, to do to do what they love mm-hmm. and um Writing wise, um, I always know, I mean, I think it stands me in good stead having been an actor and and really been around actors, um, much more successful actors than me and how they tick and how they operate. And I've heard various, I've heard it described as um, one actor who I won't mention. It's called, says, um, I look at a script and see if I can score a goal. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, and another one, um, which I might will mention, Hugh Grant said to me, <laughs> I look at a script and go, how much applause am I going to get? <laughs> and so that, that tells you all you need to know. So no actor wants to, no matter how small a role, no actor wants to be like feed, you know, just be part of the wallpaper. So each, each actor, each part you have to try and make so that an actor goes, oh, I can score a goal or I can get applause. So, <laughs> so um, knowing how that, feeble minds work is uh, <laughs> just quite useful. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> um, since we have to start wrapping up, you know, what do you hope people really take with them when they watch this film? Do you hope that this film really gives them that, that push that they've been wanting in terms of, I really should go after that thing that I've always wanted in my life? Or, you know, what is the message that you're hoping to take away with this film? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's a great way of putting it, actually. I always hope that, you know, no one gets to their deathbed and goes, I wish I'd tried less. Yeah. You know, I wish I'd done less. And I think people, um, you know, go for it, go for your dreams. You know, if you wanted to learn piano, do it. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're bad, I think, is, is the thing. I say this to my daughter all the time. She doesn't try things because she thinks she's going to be bad. And I go, well, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I think it's also having your own definition on success. Really. Yeah, yeah. I think that you know, you know, our, our social the norms and the construct is that it's number one, but I think it's it's many many other things. And for Morris, it was actually doing it. You know, mm-hmm. I think yeah. as the saying goes, it's better to try and fail than to never try at all and not know what could have happened. That. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's that's <laughs> a good way. Well, Morris himself said. Um, you know, they say when you're, when you're a child, you, you know, you, you always hear if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. And then he said that stops when you hit about 30. <laughs> he, he didn't understand why. Um, 
And like Craig said, you get success in other ways. Like it's also a film about a family, you know, and the family sort of disintegrates and, and mm-hmm. comes back together in a, in a way they never thought they would, you know. So yeah, there's um, yes. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, as long as people come out of it, you know, also being kinder to one another and giving people the the space to kind of um, follow what they what they want to do, you know. I look at this as like a I'm not sure this is a genre of movie, but it's like a birth lottery film for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the cards and he's flipping them. He wants to do something different and the world will tell you no, but Morris will tell you yes. Absolutely. I don't know if this film might inspire me to pick up golf. However, it definitely will push me to do many, many other things in life. <laughs> right. That's good. That's good to hear. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Simon and Craig. It was really nice to speak with you and learn more about this film. Thank you for your time. Really Thanks, Emma. Cheers. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Emma Sassick's interview with the director for The Phantom of the Open, Craig Roberts, and the screenwriter, Simon Farnaby, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Phantom of the Open is now playing in theaters from Sony Pictures Classics. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.